Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. creating and performing that magnificent piece of music you just heard. Good evening and welcome to Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live, where your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne, and we're also joined tonight by QL Pierce, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, thank you for joining us. Before we introduce tonight's guest and co-host, uh, here's Tamara who's going to tell you a little bit about something that we're working on now. Hey, yeah. Wrapping up our third novel, The Ravencrest Saga, Exorcism, remote part imported from England more than two <laughs> centuries ago. You're giggling. Looms tall and terrifying. <laughs> what? Gathering is unnatural. I'm gonna, hold on. <laughs> oh, why don't you let read me, it then? Let me do. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. In a remote part of California, Ravencrest Manor imported stone by stone from England more than two centuries ago looms tall and terrifying, gathering its dark and unnatural powers and drawing those it wants as its own. In Exorcism, book three of the Ravencrest saga, something evil is stirring in the deep, dark waters of the estate's indoor pool as ghostly jazz age parties fill the air with phantom music. Within the mansion, a maid is, is visited nightly by a demon lava. And governess Belinda Moreland is haunted by the tormented spirit of Violet LeBlanc, a silent movie star who is driven mad in her prime and wants Belinda to help her in search for justice. The Ravencrest Saga series is first released in serialized installments. Parts 1 through 6 are available now on Amazon, and the 7th will follow soon. If you need to brush up on the specter, scandals, and sinister goings-on at Ravencrest, you can catch the first two complete novels, the Ghosts of Ravencrest and the Witches of Ravencrest in paperback or ebook at Amazon. The Ravencrest saga has witches, ghosts, mystery, history, and lots of family secrets, so if gothic is your thing, check it out. All right, uh, again, this is Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarthorn.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com or if you tweet, our handles are at crossalister and at tamarthorn. You can also visit our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right, as I mentioned earlier, tonight is YA Night, and that means that we are joined by our sometimes co-host, QL Pierce. Q is a multi-award winning uh, author of Scary Stories for Sleepovers and over 150 books for middle grade and young adult readers. Her latest, Spine Chillers, is available now in ebook and paperback at Amazon. Uh, welcome aboard, Q. Thank you for coming and take it away. Well, thank you very much. Um, tonight we're going to uh, have a very special guest. We're going to pay tribute to one of the most iconic series of fairy stories ever written for children. Our guest is Cody Myrick. She's a producer, director, editor, and web media specialist, mostly known for his documentary, Fairy Stories, 
which is based on the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series by Alvin Schwartz. For over 10 years, he's produced web and media content for an educational nonprofit, and he has advanced degrees in English literature, and he grew up in the Ozarks of Missouri. So welcome, Cody. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let's let's start by saying um, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and uh, your documentary is being called a must-see for all horror fans, um, well beyond the, the children who grew up on the stories. Um, please tell us, a, give us a general overview of the documentary. Sure. What you so, cover. yeah, Scary Stories. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, you know, three book series published between 1981 to 1991. Um, it <laughs> it uh, kind of grew in, in a, a fan base to some degree over the years, particularly in the 90s, and just kind of became mm-hmm. this kind of generation, somewhat generational thing where everyone, you know, this was the title to kind of pass around and, and you know, and it was talked about often and that sort of thing. So it, 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 it grew a following. Um, it's a little different than a lot of books for multiple reasons as far as, you know, for one thing, the author passed away shortly after the third book, Alvin Schwartz, and the illustrator doesn't really do publicity in, in any way, shape, or form. So it kind of like – it's a little bit of a time capsule is is how I describe it a little bit because, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it really grew not almost outside of like, you know, people trying to, you know, uh, uh, push it and and publicize it. So it really grew because kids were drawn to these books and, 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 and they were, they, they were a bit more challenging in some respects as far as the horror is concerned, because they were (laughs) oftentimes considered the, scariest of the books being passed around now they were entirely based on mm-hmm. uh, folklore and urban legend so you know it, uh, it, it also was a bit different than a lot of titles around the same time because it was like you know a it, it, you can make comparisons to you know Grimm's fairy tales and such you know these are are p- part of our history part of our you know storytelling uh you know, culture and that sort of thing. Um, as far as the documentary, I, you know, I, it's kind of, it's also the most challenged or banned books of the last 40 years, arguably. Now, it's a little tricky saying the most challenged book of the last 40 years, but I, you could, I can go, it was number one in the 1990s and still in the top 10 between 2000 and 2009. So, you know, it's wow. definitely very high on the list of most challenged books of the last 40 years. Um, so the documentary kind of, it explores definitely the stories, you know, uh, there's a lot of stories to do. So, you know, we, we get into some of the, the cultural and, and, and uh, other aspects of, of, of a certain number of the stories. There's only so much time you can't do you know, you can only go so far, right. but a lot of times it was certain connections between stories and, and, you know, representative, like, examples of, okay, some of these stories, they have underlying meanings, and why do we tell these stories? Well, there's, there's, there's oftentimes some some kind of cultural thing that, you know, results in a particular story taking off and really being, like, something that's told over and over and over again. Um so we spent a okay, good what, amount of time yeah, on the stories. We also spent a lot of time on the illustrations, and um, because those have become absolutely iconic over the years, 
and um, and then there's the censorship piece that we spend. So generally speaking, those are kind of the three components that um, uh, the chapters, parts that uh, is a bit of a uh, structure uh, that I came up with somewhere along the line. So when when you first started, did you find still now these were done in the uh, late eighties, early nineties, right? The the books themselves. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Did you find a lot of enthusiasm still out there for the series when you first got this idea and proposed this idea? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, to some degree, it's like the perfect time for it because, you know, I'm 39 now. And, and so I was, when I, whenever the third book came out in 1991, I was 11 years old. <laughs> that uh, is the idea. Okay. Like that was the ideal time, and there's definitely people, you know, a little older than me, and you know, a little certainly younger than me, because kids to this day are still discovering these books. But to some degree, I feel like a lot of people were, you know, kids in the 80s and 90s. Now they're my age, and and they're the ones that yes would be great to have an adaptation of these books. And I went out and saw the adaptation of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which was, I thought was great. Um, but also a lot of people my age would, would really benefit from a documentary that really explores yeah. it in a completely different way and, and, and that sort of thing. So it's in some ways it's the ideal. You also can look at, you know, talk to people that again are maybe re- roughly my age and, and so on, and uh, you see where they are. And I, my joke I've said a, a number of times is, you know, parents, a certain amount of parents were wor- worried that kids were going to read these and they were going to what, like enact some of the, you know, ghostly, <laughs> you know, ghastly things that happen in the in the book or something like that. You know what? I, I interviewed a lot of people. Not too many of them turned out to be mass murderers. <laughs> you know? Right, right. <laughs> so it's kind of what the is, ideal time think? to kind of talk to people after time has passed where you can see how do they turn out. Well, you know, a lot of them were inspired, and now they're musicians or they're writers. They're, you know, they're, the art. I mean, I've talked to, you know, a number of different artists featured in the documentary where their first inspiration of art is from these illustrations in this book. And now – yeah, they they do artwork of their own. It's usually death related or kind of you know whatever um, horror related, right. uh, which is great. You know, <laughs> what's wrong with that? Right. Right. That's that's expression. Do you think that yeah. um, that horror is a as a genre itself for children is inspirational to kids? I mean, in in aside from just the creative way, perhaps it. Um, you know, can help them in, um, you know, getting through difficult situations and, you know, if they... Absolutely. How how do you feel that it affects kids? Well, I mean, really, in some respects, it's it's no different than any other story, right? I mean, the, from a storytelling perspective, there, you know, there. What's the difference? You know, I mean, you're still a, you're mm-hmm. still getting kids reading. Um, B, uh, one of the benefits to, to children's horror is that 
you're often getting kids who probably wouldn't read otherwise. And that's what I heard over oh, yeah. and over again. I mean, so many people said, I am not a reader. I actually have talked to a lot of people who said, this is literally about the only book they've ever read cover to cover. <laughs> and maybe they're, <laughs> they're not big readers, but this is one of the few that would, uh, but so many others are like, okay, I started with this and I loved it. Then I moved on and now I'm a reader. I read Stephen King. I read whatever, you know, horrors coming out nowadays, you know, um, which is great. Um, you know, but it started with this kind of seed of, okay, you know, this isn't the stuff that they're giving me in school, um, but it's something that actually I naturally am interested in. It's like, you know, some, somehow people think that, you know, people get into something because of a book. I, I, yeah, I, that, yeah. From my experience, you know, people are, you know, either naturally interested in horror or not interested in horror. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something that like uh, is created by putting a book in front of them. No, they're gonna, you know, and kids are pretty, pretty good about naturally knowing what they're ready for or what they're not ready for. I mean, my my nine year old, um, he does not like scary stuff. Period, right? It never oh, been funny. his thing, um, <laughs> you know. And which is fine, you know. He 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 just thinks of me as I'm the scary stories guy, you know, whatever. Um, but it's not really his thing. I mean, we bond over superheroes, which is great, you know. Um, but yeah, know, then I he has friends. I mean, that are talking about Pennywise and stuff like that, and, and have are already starting to see, you know, watch horror movies and read scary books and everything. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, there's. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, kids are just as different as as adults as far as some of them are naturally interested and some of them aren't. But again, the importance here is um, you're, you're catching a kid when either he's going to decide that he's a reader or not. And that's, I think, right. really important. And, and what well, I had, you know, books uh, like I these remember, are great for. I remember talking to a school librarian some years ago. And she mentioned that the the scary, the paperbacks, the ones that the kids could stick in their back pocket and stuff like that, she Hmm. said those books were taken out more than any other books in her library. And she had to, she couldn't order them fast enough. She would have to tape them together because so many kids wanted to, you know, keep reading Mm -hmm. the the stories, but the, now another aspect, though, uh, with the Alman Schwartz books is he he did a great deal of research, and he was a, a folklorist, and um, so there's an awful lot of history and classic stories from various cultures. So, um, how do you think that uh, what effect did that have on uh, child readers? Well, I I think. It's uh, it's another reason why these particular books are a, a bit unique compared to others because, yes, they're entirely from folklore and urban legends, and you had someone, the author, who is – was really more interested in the folklore than in the folklore than he was necessarily in the horror. I mean, he didn't have any problem with horror, and I, I've since <laughs> interviewed most of his family, and they're generally not the horror type particularly. Uh, but uh, that said, it, you know, it was uh, more. I I. I Felt like in his family has talked about how he was more interested in, you know, um, uh, adding something to it that you couldn't get elsewhere, and that's why you had the source materials at the back of the book. So you know, it, you would thumb to the back, and yes, you would 
read a story, you know, the very first story in the first book is the big toe. Well, you thumb to the back and you'd see all, okay, with this original, origi- here's variations of it. And you can actually look up in this book or, and actually as the books went on, those back, the source material in the back just got lengthier and lengthier because you could really tell that uh, that's what Alvin Schwartz, that's what was his interest was, you know, uh, uh, you know, the research part of it, as well as imparting, okay, if you really like this story, you know, you, here's more mm-hmm. reading. Here's like, you know, uh, Harold is a, a famous one, of course, where the scarecrow comes alive and gets quite murderous. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, know, yeah. <laughs> of course, you know, there's so many stories of, you know, someone creating something and then it comes to life and, you know, it, it has a bad repercussions, right? I remember, I distinctly remember reading Frankenstein shortly after this book, you know, when I was in, I, I'm sure I would have been in middle school at that time. And Frankenstein is a absolute classic and it's read in literature, book, you know, courses, you know, all over the place, right? I mean, you know, there's all these connections mm-hmm. that you can make. Um, so I, I, to some degree, I find it you know, very interesting. It also kind of makes a case why these books are like, okay, these aren't just imparting scary stories. There's something, uh, there's an additional level here that's very accessible and easy to see. It was very easy Mm -hmm. for me to see the story here because I could see, you know what, this is a bit different, right? You know, you're, you're, you're taking someone who was doing it from a scholarly perspective, you know? So, so Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I think this, like, like I said, it, it's, you know, it's a bit different than so many other, author, well, you know, great authors who are coming up with something out of nowhere. I mean, this is this is different. You know? Well, the actual challenge to these books, there was a a, a woman, I believe, I, uh, she's in there, the story about her is in the documentary, who challenged the books, and she made this like a lifelong thing to try and get these books out of the library and it became um it became a big story could you just give us a little brief overview of what happened there sure so in my research i kind of came i kept coming to this particular case right i mean yes admittedly these books are not top of the list of challenge books too much but other books are nowadays it's harry potter it's um you know um uh, a lot of times it's like lgbt and other titles right so it was um so mm-hmm. what i wanted to do was okay let's let's go back to when these p- books were freshly published and were number one on the list and that particular case it, ha- it happened in seattle in the seattle area and um you know, she was actually interviewed. If you Google Alvin Schwartz, I think these at a certain time, the very first thing that would always pop up is essentially an obituary in uh, New York Times, and which go, basically says, "Who is Alvin Schwartz, and why do parents want to ban his books?" Is basically the top, and uh-huh. she is interviewed prominently, and she actually is the one who, who you know, is you know. Set, uh, set up as okay. This is the person who's the the voice of the other side, the side that wants to remove these books from schools. And so um, that, along with archival footage, uh, I found pretty early on. It's like okay, you know, 
let's I, I can't interview it's it's difficult to interview uh you know a lot of pe- you know a lot of people who want to remove these particular books it's um, i i'm more interested in you know finding a particular person who was the head of that and then and seeing what, where she is now you know and and what she still thinks and that sort of thing and 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 her mind hasn't changed very much now um it, it's tricky talking about you throw around words like censorship and banning and age appropriateness and, and there's all these different, um, <laughs> uh, you know, tr- it funnels through people's heads and it comes out in different ways. Right. I mean, she, she was, uh, she wasn't quite as hardcore as some people, as far as like these books are from Satan and, and they should be burned. I mean, it was more a, uh-huh. uh, an age appropriateness um, uh, thing, which I think, I actually found what was more interesting. It wasn't the same it, it, because it kind of gets under the hood of, uh, in some ways so, a, little, a little bit better because admittedly I didn't want to completely um, demonize either side certainly, but I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to uh, demonize, you know, the argument here, even though I was, you know, the whole documentary is pretty pro scary stories. Right? Um, that said, <laughs> I do understand there's a, there's a legitimate debate here. And, um, and so what you kind of see in the documentary is a, you see, okay, how does a challenge actually work in America? Kind of getting un, under the hood a little bit and, and seeing how does that actually work? Who is actually challenging these books and how does it usually play out? Uh-huh. Um, and it often plays out in a school board meeting. And, and so you see a lot of cases of people getting very um, heated in school board meetings and, 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 to some degree, my I think the message here is it's not often very conducive to a you know sound debate uh, uh-huh. on these issues. And so what what happened in, what happens in the documentary is uh, Peter Schwartz, who's the son of the author Alvin Schwartz, um, he lives in Seattle, and uh, so uh, so he's seen throughout the documentary, and then he has a meeting with. Uh, Sandy um, uh, Brabble, who uh, is this PTA mother from uh, a couple decades ago, um, yeah. and uh, they meet, and they have a, a fairly civil debate, and uh, I, I found it to be quite interesting, and, and uh, the, like I said, the, a little bit, the my goal was to kind of show that, you know, it is possible to ha- have this discussion and maybe you're not going to solve everything that I in no way think, you know, this documentary solves anything particularly. It was more about, you know, get, putting the conversation out there that this is still a debate that we, that we should continue to have. And, and um, that said, I'm, I, I, I also, yeah. Been pretty honest with the fact that okay, I, you know, I I I had a positive effect, and I mostly show that a lot of people had a very positive yeah. experience with these books growing up. So yeah. Now, out of on that topic, what was your favorite story? Which one stuck out? My favorite you story. Um, you know, I've I've answered a few different times over the years. I've been working on this documentary for. It's been five years. <laughs> a, lot uh-huh. of, a lot of it was filmed over the span of two to three years, but it's been five years since I – over five years since I started. Um, but I kind of evolved and come around to The Big Toe, which is the first story in the first uh, book. Okay. And it's it, in, in many ways, I think it's 
you know, a, a perfect example of what a lot of people think of when they think of these stories. Um, it's a it's a jump scare one, um, <laughs> which is kids like and get engaged in, and and it it you know, and it also uh, you know, Mark Twain uh, is kind of famous for. Uh, uh, doing a speech where he would talk about the golden arm story, which is essentially the oh, big yeah. toe story. It's just, you know, we jiggered yeah. a little bit, right? Um, and he famously would talk about how that's a good example of how it's important how you tell a story, not just what's in the story, but how you tell a story. And that's what Alvin Schwartz was really would talk about in, 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 the, uh, in the preface and, and that sort of thing is that, you know, these, the, the storytelling is important and it's a, uh, a very interesting aspect of our heritage. And, um, and so, yeah, the big toe is kind of a good example of kind of expressing that. Okay. And that, that one is in the, uh, the fictional film that's out now too. This, the big yes. toe, isn't that one yep. of the feature? Yeah. So, so now yes. I, and then, I, do, I have a couple of other things I wanted to ask you about, but I just want to mention that in watching the documentary, I noticed that your, your moody settings and the animation and everything worked so well with the um, Gamel. Is it Gamel? You, you say Stephen Gamel? Gamel. Yeah. His drawings, yes. they all seem to kind of knit together. So just that visually is it's worth watching this documentary just to see that visual, um, you know, how it brings everything to life about these stories. And uh, that was just beautiful. And um, so I do want to ask if you can tell people how they can find the the, uh, documentary, where they can get it. Sure. So it's available right now on Amazon Prime. So, um, and it's also available on DVD and most video on uh, demand platforms. So, uh, if you don't have uh, Amazon Prime, you know you can look it up on iTunes or or Vudu or uh, all those, uh, 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 and you can rent them from various places. But nowadays, just the, the last couple of weeks, it's been on Amazon Prime. So, a lot of people watch it on that. Excellent. And then, of course, I want to know what you're doing next. What are you working on? So um, I'm working on uh, something not too far away, uh, uh, trying to make the jump to a narrative film. And so I've written, I think I'm on draft number three of something that uh, I hope to film next year. Excellent. And it's in the scary story realm? Yes, it's not too. It's like I'm very conscious that I've kind of grew an audience of a certain type, and also I have an interest there. So, so I'm not skewing too far away from the scary stuff. Yes. So this is this is fiction, though. Yes. That you're doing next. Ah, okay, okay. Well, um, one other question. Um, while you, when you were making the documentary. What was the most difficult aspect of making that film? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it, the whole thing was a learning process. I mean, it was, it was my first film. So there were, um, you know, uh, finding that balance between what I felt a lot of people – I've consumed what a lot of people feel about these books and love about these books. And so it was an interesting balance in the end – 
finding an edit where I tried to make a lot of different people happy in different ways. So admittedly, it's one of those things like you try to please everyone and you you hope you don't, uh, uh, not everyone hates it because you didn't spend too much time on any one thing. So, so I I think finding that balance between, you know, the stories that people loved and the the illustrations that people loved and then adding the censorship piece and, and all kinds of other things. It was, um, you know, that was, for me, I think that it was a definite. It was almost thankful that it took several years to to make this because I had to. Uh, I could spend some time really processing different, you know, components of it and finding okay, what's what's going to fit in a roughly hour and a half documentary, which is what my goal was. So, so yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a it was a tricky experience, but um, in the end, I was. You know, I, I think the reviews have been quite good, and and people, you know, uh, appreciate that. You know, we we went in a lot of different directions. Well, I I saw that the reviews were good, and I have the documentary. I own it. I have watched it, and I absolutely loved it. So, um, I'm definitely recommending it for anyone who has a place in their heart for um, the scary stories for sleepover series. It's a, it's a really important background and I think you did, really did it justice. So, um, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I am so glad that it's out there for, for kids and adults alike. And, uh, if someone wants to find you, if they're looking for you, your website or whatever, how will they find you? So, um, Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, mostly scary stories, doc. I think, Facebook, it's Scary Stories Movie. Um, you'll find me pretty quickly on those. A website, scarystoriesdoc.com. Um, you, you can certainly go there and find a lot of links immediately. And I'm planning on kind of adding a lot in the in the near future as far as there's a lot of cut stuff that's still also very great. So I'm trying to also package that in a way where I can kind of just start to give it away because there's a lot of little nuggets that came out, uh, came out of the final edit, but I still kind of want to put out there because I think people enjoy it. So, um, Ooh, yeah, yay. definitely okay. check out scary stories, doc.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been terrific and you're always welcome. And, um, I hope that everyone will, will go out there and, Take a look at the documentary. It's really a great piece of work. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. All um, right. And, uh, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I, <clears throat> welcome back anytime. And uh, we look forward to what you're doing next. And uh, so thank you for being on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next week, we wish you haunted nights. Screams. And don't forget to check under the bed before you turn off the light. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.